Well, good morning, City Church. How many of you enjoyed worship this morning? Yes, amen. And um, so thankful that you're here. Want to welcome you, especially those of you who are our guests. Welcome to City. This morning, the sermon that I'm going to be bringing is a sermon that God laid on my heart because we were supposed to step into a different teaching series, sermon series this week, and I just felt very impressed by God not to do that. And I know at times this can frustrate the team that I serve with, but I felt very compelled that we were to take a few more weeks on Easter. And the reason for that is, is that Easter, we have this incredible build-up to Easter. Some of us celebrate Lent. We've got this 40-day build-up to this massive event, the resurrection of Jesus, which is the center of our faith. And we have this huge build-up to Easter, to Resurrection Sunday morning. We have this huge celebration. And then the next week, we put the resurrection in the closet and about 320 days later, we pull it back out again. And I just felt that God wanted us to journey a little bit further with Easter than we normally do. And know this, that biblically speaking, in the Newer Testament, you have a build-up to Easter that's about 40 days. But what's incredible is, there's approximately 40 days from the resurrection to the ascension of Jesus when he goes back to heaven. And so there's this other 40-day period, which is fascinating, where God does incredible things. But my thought this morning for us is we're going to spend the next couple of weeks looking at Easter and what happens after Easter. I also want to say this, that in my industry, in my profession, now, I'm going to let you in on a profession secret. In my industry, my profession, this tends to be the most depressing Sunday of the year. And here's why. There are congregations that actually grow tenfold on Easter. And the pastor's excited. We've finally done it. And the next week you show up, and what happens is all the poinsettia lily Christians are gone. Do you know what a poinsettia lily Christian is? Christians that come out on Christmas and Easter. And so the guy or the gal that's pastoring the church is all excited. We've broken through. We've reached all these people. And the next Sunday you show up and a lot of your regulars aren't even there, let alone all the guests. It's true. It's considered the most depressing Sunday of the year. In my profession, because your attendance swelled, now it's down, less than normal. So I thought, with all of that in mind, it's a good Sunday to talk about the cross. <laughs> now, I want to speak to the cross this morning because the cross is the central reality of our faith. The cross is something that all of us as followers of Jesus look at, but as I was thinking about preaching on the cross this morning, it dawned on me 
the following. What do you think people who are outside of faith in Jesus think about the idea of the cross? Because almost all people know that the cross stands for things that every one of us would want to avoid. You see, the cross is that thing that if you lived during Jesus' time, the cross was a constant reminder to everyone during Jesus' day that there were the oppressed and there were the oppressors. The cross was a constant symbol of defeat. The cross was a constant reminder of severe pain and agony. And if you during Jesus' time were to wear a cross around your neck, you would have been viewed as extremely odd. It would be pictured this way. It would be pictured like a serpent or a cobra wearing the necklace of a mongoose. It would be like an earthworm wearing the emblem of a robin. It would be like, these analogies are getting lame, so the idea is you have your own analogy, the thing you want to avoid, the thing you want to stay away from. And all of a sudden, there's this faith called following Jesus. And this faith shows up, and all of a sudden, those people are talking about the cross, the cross, the cross. It's amazing. But it could be viewed by people even today who are checking out faith. And I know that there's many here this morning that are checking out faith in Jesus. Someone invited you. You've been curious. Maybe you're going through something in your life and you've heard that Jesus can make a difference. And you end up looking at church and from about 30,000 feet, what you see is the cross. And it could be viewed as morbid curiosity by those of us who follow Jesus. I was thinking about that this week. Just picture someone who's checking out Jesus and checking out faith, and the cross is the central symbol. It would appear to me, I think, if I'm checking out Jesus and Christianity and what it means to follow him, and I'm just looking at it, it would be viewed by me as rather morbid curiosity. Now, I want to say this. When I was younger, I was filled with morbid curiosity. Maybe you were too. Let me give you an example. When I was young, I can remember one science class that I ever took. It was my favorite day of science ever. I had no clue it was coming. It was the day and I think I was about middle school, where we walked into the science lab and on every table in front of our science partner was a frog that had been saved in formaldehyde. It was my best day. Truth of it is, I felt poorly for the frog. But when the, when the teacher said, what you need to do is pull up that razor and open up the frog from stem to stern, and you will be graded by how well you know the internal workings of the frog. I was thrilled. 
And what was so sad to me is there were other students that were not thrilled. There were girls exiting the lab, and I felt like saying, I'll do that for you. But I remember looking at that frog, and it was so fascinating to me, opening up that frog, looking inside, and here's how you got graded. Now, this is morbid, where you would take out each organ, put it back in again, and then take a toothpick and put it in every organ and put a little label on that organ to denote you knew what the organ was. And so all over that classroom, there were frogs like this with toothpicks sticking out of them all over the place with little flags that said heart, liver, large intestine, small intestine. And to make, matter, make matters worse, I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin. And we raised all of our own protein. We raised our own beef and our own chickens. And I can remember how fascinated I was when it came time to butcher something. And, and this is the truth. I always felt bad for the animal, but never bad enough to not watch. It fascinated me, morbid curiosity. And if you think that's morbid, here's what would happen at the dinner table at our family. We would pull up, and my mother would have maybe cooked steak. The steak would be passed out, and as we were ready to eat, someone would say, is this steak from Elmer or Fudd? <laughs> and you look down, and there's the cow, the beef steer we had a name for. That's Elmer. That's Fudd. And it would kind of take you back, but then I'd go, well, steak's good, so let's eat. Who cares if it's Elmer or Fudd or Bonnie or Clyde? Doesn't matter. Steak's awesome. And that was kind of the environment that I grew up in, but it was also this. I learned very young that life has death. I learned that young. Life has death. And when I stepped towards Jesus, I learned this. Without death, there is no resurrection. There has to be death if there's going to be a resurrection. And so, you might call it morbid curiosity with the cross. And I could understand that. But the other thing that I thought about for us this morning is this. These are the two original symbols for Christianity. The first one is what you call the Jesus fish, the ichthys. The other one is the cross. I don't know if you know this, but the cross never appeared on anything to resemble Christianity as far as we know from archaeological digs and church history. This did not appear till around 400 A.D. The Jesus fish, the ichthys, this happened almost immediately. And the reason why this came first was because of that. Because if you were a follower of Jesus, things went well for about the first 10 or 11 months after the day of Pentecost, but it wasn't soon after that when all of a sudden, Religious leaders of some of the religious leaders of the Jewish faith began to turn on followers of Jesus. And not long after that, Rome did the same thing. And so, if you were a follower of Jesus, right after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, when persecution hit, what you would do is when you met someone, it's what history tells us, 
When you met someone, if you thought they were a Jesus follower, when you were talking with them, you would take your toe and you'd make half the shape of the fish. And if they were a follower of Jesus, they would complete it. And you knew that person followed Jesus like you. And why did you do that? It was because of that. Because you knew that if you got caught, you would end up there. And so followers of Jesus had this simple symbol of the ichthus, and now we find it on the back bumpers of cars. Have you noticed that? How many of you sitting here would like to put a Jesus fish on your car? But you know better. Because your testimony, when you drive for Jesus, does not match the ichthus on your, raise your hand if you admit it. You've actually thought about putting it on your bumper and you thought, ah, I better not do that because somebody will find out that ah, I'm not really a Christian when I drive. <laughs> By the way, you won't find an ichthus on the bumper of my car either. <laughs> but here's what we do know. They made that symbol and that was the original symbol of a follower of Jesus. They think it comes from the idea of Jesus when he fed the 5,000 and took fish and he fed everyone. Some believe it has to do with baptism, that in order to follow Jesus, you go through the water. But here's what we do know, that there were people who, when they believed this, ended up on that. And what we do know is that in the ancient world, when Rome began to use Christians for the bloodlust entertainment of the populace, that there were Christians who were pulled into the, those Colosseums. And there's writings that as they were attacked by wild beasts, they would stand like Jesus. The cross was slowly becoming the symbol of their faith. You see, when you look at Christianity and you look at being a follower of Jesus, there is something about the cross. And I want to tell you it's more than morbid curiosity. There's so much more to the cross. And one of the reasons why is Jesus talked about it. Jesus in Luke chapter 9 verse 22 says this, Jesus said the Son of Man must suffer, be rejected, and be crucified, and on the third day, be raised to life. He told his disciples this. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus uploads to his disciples, I will be crucified. Luke 9. There's 24 chapters in the gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 9, way before, halfway through the gospel, Jesus is already telling his disciples, that he will go to Jerusalem, he will be tortured, and he will be nailed to a cross. The rest of the gospel, the trajectory changes from Luke 9.22 all the way to Luke chapter 24, where there's a constant progression of Jesus towards the cross. Jesus talked about the cross. Not only that, but so did the other Newer Testament writers. All the other Newer Testament writers mention something about the cross or they allude to it. The Apostle Paul wrote this, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, 
But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Isn't it shocking that the Apostle Paul, as he looks at the cross of Jesus, says that the cross has a message, and the message of the cross is the power of God to save us. So again, this morning, we're going to look at the cross. We're going to look at the cross because Jesus talked about it, the first century church talked about it, and the writers of the Newer Testament talked about it as well. So what I want us to do, we're going to read a little bit more text or scripture than we normally do this morning. But I'm going to be reading from my scriptures, Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 47. On Easter, we read the gospel account of Matthew of the cross of Jesus. This morning, we're going to read the gospel of Luke's account, where Dr. Luke brings to us the following about the death of Christ and the cross. Here's what Luke writes. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. By the way, at that point, Jesus was not carrying the whole cross. He was only carrying the crossbeam. The upright portion of the cross was permanently affixed by the Romans. And Jesus would have been carrying the crossbar along with these other two people. Each of them had their own. And it says, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him and said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. And they offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And the reason why they did that is every king has a cup bearer. So they held up a cup of rancid vinegar to mock him. Because Luke goes on to tell us, there was written above him, there was a written notice above him which said, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there uh, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are being punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon. And darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. The sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. 
And the centurion, the man torturing him, the centurion seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. The cross. The cross. It is not morbid curiosity. The cross is the center of our faith. And when we look at the cross this morning, I would like for us to remember what we just read from the Gospel of Luke. The way I want to present this to us is the following way. Luke gives us an account that has what I'm going to call a three-act play. There's Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3. But in order to understand this concept, we are now sitting in a theater. At one time, this was considered one of the best acoustically driven playhouses and theaters on the East Coast. It's where you're sitting. So you're in the right place. But picture you are now part of a play and you've just heard Luke. And Luke brings to us what happens on the cross with Jesus. And picture this with me if you would. That right there in the center, right stage center like our cross, stage center is the central prop of the play. The central prop of the play, according to Luke, is the cross. That there's a cross in the center, there's a cross on the left, and a cross on the right. Center stage is the central prop, and on the central prop, is the central person of the story, Jesus. And Jesus has been crucified on the cross. And what we discover in Act 1 is that Jesus is on the cross and the cross is bringing everything it can to bear on Jesus. You see, the cross was made to bring the very worst to a person so that the very worst of that person would ooze out. There are clear reports of men who were crucified on crosses who spent a day cursing the people that had crucified them. The purpose of the cross was to show you your weakness, where your deficits are, to bring suffering, to bring pain through rejection. You see, the cross is all about revealing your worst. That's the purpose of the cross. And yet, what do we have in Act 1? In Act 1 of our play, Jesus says something. And it's shocking. Instead of cursing, instead of bringing out anger and bitterness and hatred in the midst of unthinkable suffering, Jesus, who is center stage on the central prop, as the central character of our three-part play. These are the words that he spoke. Father, forgive them. And I believe that right after Jesus speaks these words, all of a sudden the lighting that has been focused on the central cross in that play, the lighting that has been on the central prop with the center of the stage, with the central person of the play, all of a sudden, the lighting goes wider. 
And as the lighting goes wider, you can see the two criminals, one on Jesus' left and one on Jesus' right. And that's where we go to act two. In an act two, the criminal on one side of Jesus says to Jesus, Jesus, I heard what you just said. You just asked God to forgive people. You just said, Father, forgive them. And Jesus, could that be me? Jesus, is there any way that forgiveness would include me? Because Jesus, I deserve judgment. I'm getting what my deeds deserve. And Jesus, is there any way that what you just said about God forgiving, is there any way that could include me? And so he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me. Would you please remember me? And what we discover is Jesus responds to that question. Here's what he says. Truly, I tell you, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. You see, the cross is the central prop in this three-part play. And in the second act of the play is the lighting goes wide angle and now you don't just see Jesus but you see the criminals on either side of him. One overtly rejects Jesus and the other one says, Jesus, please remember me. And Jesus' response is that today you will be with me in paradise. And then... Luke's gospel brings to us the story of the cross. And he brings to us the story of the cross, and what happens next does not happen inside the theater. What happens next, according to the gospel of Luke, is this, that the curtain in the temple was torn in two. You see, you couldn't see that sitting in the theater You didn't know that that happened. You're there. You're observing. You've got the central prop, which is the cross at center stage with the central character of the play, and it's Jesus. And Jesus has said, Father, forgive them. And then he offers forgiveness real time on the cross to a guy who asks for it. And when Jesus breathes his laugh, his last, stage left, where you cannot see. Luke tells us that as Jesus dies in the curtain, or I'm sorry, in the temple, at that moment, something happens. The curtain in the temple is torn in two. That as Jesus dies, there's a simultaneous response to his death, and it happens in the temple. So for those of us who are checking out Jesus and maybe you don't know the biblical story, the curtain being torn in two is an incredible event. Here's why. You see, Jesus is being crucified right outside of the city of Jerusalem and Jerusalem is the center of the Christian faith and in the center of the city of Jerusalem up on a hill called Mount Zion 
in the center of Jerusalem, there's this temple, and it's called the temple of God. And inside of that temple, there's a place called the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. Inside of that building, and the most holy place, the holiest of holies, is separated from an inner room. And the Holy of Holies, only one person gets to go in there once a year. And they're drawn by lot from the priesthood. And the only way they can access that room behind the curtain is if blood has been applied to their lives. They literally have blood on their thumb, their earlobe, and their big toe. And all of their sin has to be atoned for by the blood of the Lamb. And so one time, once a year, one man was allowed to sneak in behind that curtain and enter into the holiness of God. The curtain that's being referenced in this scripture is three to four inches thick. It goes all the way from the towering ceiling in the temple all the way to the ground floor. And the curtain is woven of goat hair three to four inches thick. And it's there to keep people out of the holiness of God. But it's also there to keep people alive. Because if you were to stumble into that room, you would be instantly killed unless your sins had been covered and your sins had been atoned for. You see, when Jesus is on the cross and he is dying, the Bible tells us when he gives up his spirit, at that very moment, God the Father reaches down and he grabs that curtain that has kept his holiness in his presence separated from people and he picks it up like a napkin and he tears it from top to bottom. And as Jesus is crucified on the cross, God now opens up a way to where people through the death of Jesus on the cross can now freely access his holiness, the center of who he is. God no longer needs to protect people from his holiness because of Jesus' death on the cross, our sins have been atoned for. And the writer of Hebrews says this, brothers and sisters, we have this confidence to enter the most holy place, that's that inner room where God's holiness was dwelling, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain. The writer of Hebrews remembers the tearing of the curtain as Jesus is, is, gives up his life, and it says this, open to us through the curtain, that is his what? His body. Jesus' body, as he died, and he gave his body on the cross, at that moment, the holiness of God was made available to anyone. The curtain was torn open so that everyone would have access to the true center of who God is. Now listen, when we look at this, we look at the cross, it is not morbid curiosity. The cross stands in the center of the Christian faith. Think of it this way. If Jesus Christ can be nailed to a cross and people that followed him over the years 
began to look at the cross no longer as a symbol of torture and terror, no longer as a symbol of the oppressed and the oppressor, no longer as a symbol of what brings out the worst in you. Now the cross is the symbol of what it means to follow Jesus. And think of it this way. If Jesus, because he was placed on it, because Jesus was applied to the central prop, center stage as the center character of what happens around the resurrection and Easter, if Jesus is applied to that cross, and because he's applied to that cross, all of a sudden that cross begins to lose its meaning. That cross suddenly, instead of being viewed as an emblem of torture and terror, is now viewed as a place of peace. The cross, which was viewed as anger and hatred, is now viewed as a place of love. That the cross has been dynamically changed because of who was nailed to it. Now, Maybe if Jesus could transform that, he can also transform you and he could transform me. Because here's what I know. I know some of us who are here, you know that your life is filled with scars. You know that your life has been filled with hatred and bitterness and anger And all of these things, you know that your life really more resembles the cross than it does Jesus. Well, what I want to tell you is, if Jesus can transform the cross, he can transform you. He can transform you. What does it take? What does that look like? Well, as we like to say at City, it involves putting feet to your faith. Here's what the Bible says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And faith without action is dead. So what do we do as a church family? What do we do as people who are kind of checking out Jesus and considering the cross? And you've come to realize that the cross is not morbid curiosity. The cross is mission critical. It's the central prop of the play of Easter and the resurrection. So what do I do in order to put feet to my faith? Well, I position myself in front of this story. And instead of just sitting in a theater like this, I step into the story and I stand before the central prop, center stage, with the center character in it. And I look at what happens in the play, and when I hear Jesus say, Father, forgive them. I make a decision. Will that include me? Am I willing to say to Jesus, remember me? Just like the thief on the cross, the criminal next to Jesus, am I willing to put feet to my faith and stand in front of the cross with Jesus on it and say, Jesus... Remember me. Would you remember me too? 
Well, putting feet to my faith also means that I remember that as Jesus died, the curtain, the barrier between God's presence and man has been permanently ripped apart. And that through Jesus, even when I have sinned, through Jesus, I can go to him. And through him, his body is now the access into the very presence of the God who has created me. And because of the cross, I have access to God. Putting feet to our faith means that I step out in faith. And I move towards Jesus. And I accept him. And what he's done for me. But for those of us who have already made that decision, what's incredible to me is that Jesus, in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, remember he said to his disciples, way back in Luke 9, 22, he said to his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I will be crucified, they're going to kill me. And then Jesus said to them all, 9.23, so right after he announced he was going to be crucified, right after that, here's what Jesus says to his disciples. Whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross, how often? And follow me. Shocking. Isn't that Shocking. And I sit here and I say to myself, but I thought Jesus did it all on the cross. He did. But he tells us clearly that if I'm going to follow Jesus, that there will also be a cross that I'm called to bear because Jesus went to the cross for me, that God is going to call me to pick up a cross daily and to follow Jesus. Now, the cross that I carry is not for my salvation. That's what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. But as a follower of Jesus, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, if you're going to follow me, there's going to be a cross for you too. And you're going to be called every morning. Pick it up and to follow him. I know that this verse is not a verse that gets preached on often. And here's why. A lot of people, when they want to talk about Jesus, they don't want to talk about the commitment that it takes to follow him. I hear sermons today where the message is pretty simple this. It's that God loves you. He's got a plan for your life, which is true. Oh, is that true? I've discovered that personally. But what we need to clearly understand, to follow Jesus takes denying myself daily picking up the cross and following him. That doesn't earn my salvation. I do it because he has already saved me. So, putting feet to our faith, what does that look like for you and me? For those of us that have looked at the cross and already accepted Jesus, what does that look like? I want to make a suggestion. Here's what it is. I would encourage us, and I'd like you to get a vision for this. What if all of us that have filled this auditorium every day, we did this? What if every day we got up in the morning and we looked at the thing we wish we could avoid? 
Because you see, a cross is something you want to avoid. The cross is something you never would want to sign up for. Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane looked at the cross and said, God, please take this from me. Who's the person in your life that you've thought to yourself, Jesus, please take this person from me. And by the way, if they're sitting right next to you, don't look at them now. But you see, Jesus, on the heels of announcing that there's a cross for him, says to his disciples, there's going to be a cross for you too. And what he says to them is fascinating. Every day, every day, the way you're going to look at life as my follower is you will get up and every day you will face the thing that makes you suffer, the thing you wish you could avoid, that person that's literally like a nail in your or a spear in your side. You're going to get up each day. And as you get up in the morning, instead of grumbling, you will pick that up as a cross. You're going to say, okay, Jesus, you picked up a cross for me. I'm going to pick up a cross for you. You know what? Every single morning I have a routine. This is my routine. I get showered, I get cleaned up, and then I go to my dresser. And on my dresser is a gift that my wife and kids gave me that I dearly love. It's a leather holder. It holds my watch. I love this watch too. My family gave it to, to me on the 20th anniversary of being the pastor here at City. Love the watch. And inside this, this is the celebration of my 25th anniversary to Fran. And in it, I put my watch, my wallet, as empty as it is, and my keys. Every morning I get up, I go there and I put on my watch, put my wallet in my pocket, put my keys in my pocket and I get ready to walk out the door. But maybe when you go through your ritual each morning, you'll remember this verse. Instead of going off to class and belly aching about it, instead of going to the job and entering in on all the gossip or the negativity, maybe you've got suffering somewhere in your life. That's the cross you want to avoid. Maybe, just maybe, can you get a vision for this? If all of the people in this auditorium, as we get up, instead of going through our morning ritual, looking at it through the lens of me, what if I said, okay, Jesus, that thing that I want to avoid, I'm going to pick it up like a cross. I'm going to wear it like a cross for you. And there's something about that that allows the follower of Jesus to look at suffering and bring meaning to it. That if I believe I'm a follower of Jesus, each morning when we get together, each morning when you get ready for your day, could you imagine if all of us together would say, Jesus, this day, I sense you're calling me up a cross to follow you. I have a dear friend of mine who's now passed away and I knew her when I was at Princeton. She had a brother who was severely mentally handicapped and he was getting older. Everyone wanted to put him in a home. And one day Millie read this verse. 
Jesus says, pick up your cross daily and follow me. And when she did, she was a brand new follower of Jesus. And when Millie read that verse, she knew what her cross was. It was her older brother. And she brought him into her home. And she cared for him until he died. That was her cross. What's yours? What's yours? As we close out our time, I'd like us to take a few moments and to consider the cross. Have you come to the cross by faith? That central prop, center stage, with Jesus as the central character, and have you looked at him and said, Jesus, remember me? Have you ever done that? Have you ever responded like the thief? When he looks at Jesus and says, that forgiveness stuff you just mentioned, Jesus, remember me. And if you look at your life, and your life feels it's the, like it's more like the corruption of the cross than it is Jesus, just know this. He can transform your life. And the way you accept him is by praying a prayer like I'm ready to lead you in. If you have never accepted Jesus, you've never said yes to Christ, but you want to this morning, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. And so now if we could be in prayer together, but the prayer goes something like this, Jesus, I don't know everything there is to know about who you are, but what I do know is that your cross is not morbid curiosity. Your cross is a place where you took my sin, where you brought forgiveness. And instead of cursing those who were crucifying you, you asked that they would be forgiven. Jesus, please allow that forgiveness to be for me too. Jesus, thank you for opening the curtain that separates me from my heavenly Father. Thank you that through your body and through your death on the cross, that curtain is open for me too. And now through you, I can have a relationship with God, my heavenly Father, because of what you've done for me. So Jesus, forgive me of my sins, those sins that caused you to have to go to the cross. Forgive me and cleanse me and change me. Jesus, if the cross can become a place of love and honor and grace and forgiveness and peace, please let my life be the same. In Jesus' name, in Christ's name, amen. And for those of us who are already followers of Jesus, we're going to take a few moments to consider the cross. And as you consider the cross, what is the cross that Jesus is calling you to pick up daily?
blessings concluded. If you would like to exit, you can exit quietly. If you would like to remain in worship, I want to encourage you to do that. And now, may the Lord bless us. 
May the Lord keep us. May Jesus cause his face to shine upon us. And may he give us grace and peace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship. that you took the cross and you made it something really beautiful. Pray that you would help us to walk through a week and to show us what that means for each of our lives, Jesus. 
Thank you for worshiping with us today. Go in peace.